I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, to chapter 37, once again. We'll study verses 7 through 14. As I said last week, we're just taking a two-week, this being the second week, break from our series through the book of Romans. And the purpose of that is that I'm preparing sermons to preach at a missions conference, sermons that I want you as our church to receive the benefit from, and not just that it would be something I prepared for someone else. Um, I also want to remind you that the book of Ezekiel is a prophecy, and specifically that a prophet and Ezekiel himself uh, is a preacher. He's a pastor, a shepherd of the sheep of the people of Israel. And that at this time in the history of the people of God, the Israelites are in exile. They're captives of the Babylonians. And it is a hard day. They've lost very much and they don't see very much light on the horizon. And so the Lord gives this vision, but it's not just a vision as if he sees something and like he's watching a television screen, but it's more experiential. Uh, We're told in verse 1 that the hand of the Lord was upon him, that's Ezekiel, and that the Lord brought him out in the spirit and set him down in the middle of a valley filled with dry bones. And so this is not just him seeing something, but him spiritually being in a place surrounded with the emblems of the spiritual state of the people of Israel. There are bones, and behold, they are very dry. And so we'll continue to study in the passage, and we will uh, study the Word of God in verses 7 through 14. Hear this, the holy and inerrant word of the Lord our God. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the Spirit, prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the Spirit, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O Spirit, And breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the spirit or the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army. Then he said to me. Son of man. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, 
I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from my graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Thus far the word of the Lord our God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you speak and the earth shakes. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to receive your word. O Lord, to be a people that would understand it, that we would submit to it, and that Lord, from your power and from your promises, that we would receive encouragement and assurance and strength in this day of our great need. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Is there any hope for the church today, some ask? How can the church stand and how will the church live in such an age as we are in? Friends, we live in a post-post-modern world. If you can even get your head around that sort of idea. Friends, we're told that hot is cold and cold is hot. That men are women and women are men. We're told that up is down and that down is up. And we're told that right is wrong and that wrong is right. And friends... It seems as if this is the theme of our age, that the only thing that is certain is that people ought to themselves be uncertain. And almost every month, what do we hear? If you read anything, if you have any contact with other churches, what do you hear? You hear progressively again and again and again of yet another disqualifying sin in the fall of a Christian leader. We read again and again and again about the almost total godlessness of our politicians and elected leaders. We read about the progressive slide and the degradation of cultural and political strength that was once had and influenced by the Christian church. And so what is it that we hear? Church, you are losing ground Again, and again, and again. And just in past days, I read one social commentator considering the recent passing of a Christian monarch proclaimed that Christendom has fallen in the West. I don't know if any of that stuff is entirely true, but I feel the weight of it. I read newspapers, I hear the rumors... I see the fall of many things and it affects me and maybe it affects you. Maybe it does or maybe it doesn't cause you the sort of anxiety and anguish that it does for some. But I don't think any of us can debate that we now live and probably even that most of us feel like we are strangers in a foreign land. 
and that we live under foreign and pagan kings who direct us in ways that we ourselves are not entirely comfortable with. And our passage this morning, again, speaks directly to that, specifically to a time like our own, to a time where Israel is in that Babylonian captivity of the church. It's a time where they have seen their kingdom fall, their king killed, their temple destroyed, their altars torn down, their culture and spirituality in ruins. And Ezekiel chapter 37 is a message of hope for the Old Testament church and for our church. It is a message for today of how we can stand and how we can live in this world under the power and the promises of God. The three things I want us to consider this morning are firstly, verses 7 and 8, preaching. These are very short points. Verses 7 and 8, preaching. Verses 9 and 10, praying. Verses 11 through 14, promises of God. Preaching, praying, and the promises of God. As we come to verse 7, what we have is the obedience of Ezekiel the prophet. And what's he being obedient to? Well, to the command of God that's in verse 4. Just look a few verses back and you will see the command of the Lord. He said to him, prophesy over these bones. And then he gives him the message to prophesy in last week's sermon. Verse 7, he says, and, as it were, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And we have the account of what happens when he begins to prophesy. When with an obedient heart and submission to the Lord, he does what he is supposed to do in the midst of this profound vision. And read the passage with me. It's very vibrant and descriptive and Maybe, if we're honest, a little bit disturbing. Ezekiel says, And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them now let's paint the picture again it's not just the grisly picture that we've just read the description of but it's a little bit more than that because the context is the vision that the Lord put upon him Ezekiel his prophet specifically the context he placed him within where he took him in the spirit and placed him in what seems to be the valley of the shadow of death. These heaps of bones. It's hard to even get our heads around this sort of thing. There's no modern equivalent that I'm aware of where bodies would be left to decay and desiccate and dry in the noonday sun picked by birds clean to where there are piles and as if you were walking in the midst of them and you just think, wow, this is overwhelming what sort of battle was lost here. But that's the context. And what we're told in the former portion of the passage is that not only does he place him in the midst of the valley of dry bones, but that the Lord 
as if to take him by the hand, leads the prophet on this little stroll through this dark, desperate garden of death. And it's strange. It's almost bizarre. And whenever the Lord is doing this, and letting him take full stock of this, we hear Ezekiel again and again and again, Behold, there are many bones. Behold, they're very dry. And in the middle of his shock, and in the middle of the effect that this scene has on the prophet, the Lord looks at him, and he asks him a question, doesn't he? In verse 3, can these bones live? And last week, we asked the question of ourselves as if we were in the midst of it. We would say, probably not. There are not enough transplants, not enough blood infusions, not enough defibrillators on the planet to resurrect not just a dead body, but dried, decaying bones. But do you remember the response? The prophet knowing who he's with, knowing his company. Oh Lord, you know. And there's this honest, faithful timidity. You can almost feel it as if he's trembling in the presence of his God. Can these bones live according to the eye of a mortal man? It doesn't seem so, but oh Lord God, you know. All power rests in your hands. And the command of God, the imperative, prophesy, prophesy over these bones. Preach to these bones, to bones that don't have ears yet on them. Preach to them, the Lord says. And when you preach, tell them that I'm going to raise them from the dead. That's the message. Well, here's Ezekiel. And he's obedient And he does what he's commanded. And he preaches a sermon in the midst of a cemetery. Any of you been to funerals? Of course I have and lots of them. You ever hear hear a sermon in a cemetery? Well, if you've ever been around faithful Presbyterian ministers, you have. But usually there's like 15, 20, 30, 50, 60, 100 people surrounding the burial site, but that's not the context. There's the prophet and then mounds of bones. And you got to just think about it for a second. He's, he's got to just be thinking, you know, Lord, I know that you're powerful. You've taken me here in the power of the Spirit, but this seems strange. Almost foolish. It's almost a hopeless task. He gives no voice to that None of it. But you can hear the shock in his voice whenever things begin to make noise. Look again there at verse 7. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And we might be tempted to say, well, of course, Ezekiel, preachers are loud. You always make sound. That's not just that. It's the sound of the rattling of bones. The word there for rattling, some translations, older ones, sometimes translated as the quaking of the earth. These bones are shaking. And then the depiction of 
the bones coming together one to another in their joints and clacking together and the sound of the dry bones as they make contact. And one after another after another, all of the desperate and separated pieces and parts intermixed and dispersed with all the other skeletons come into their own skeleton, into their own bodies, and they reassemble, and it's a clacking and a rattling, and the ears are ringing, and it's evidence of the power of what the Lord is doing and the work that He would be pleased to do through prophesying and preaching even to dead things. Oh, behold, a rattling. And behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. Can you even get that into your mind? And maybe you don't really want to let your mind go there to think of a bunch of bones that then stand one to another moving together. And then as it stands, all of a sudden, Sinews and ligaments begin to climb up their feature and reattach to their former places. And then flesh and muscle. See, it's reverse engineered man here. It's a terrifying thing. You put one of these things out on your lawn late in the fall and people are going to get a little bit, well, concerned. It's grisly, like the sort of thing out of a horror movie almost. And the prophet is saying, and behold, and there's the shock of it all. Behold what is happening. Here they are. And we're told at the very close of the section that there was no breath in them. But what's the picture of? What's the picture of the spiritual state of the people of Israel? The piles of bones. But the promise of those bones being restored to life. But how? What's the thing that's done? What's the only thing that we see here? It's the power of preaching. It doesn't make much sense. Ezekiel's not a doctor. He's not a surgeon. He's no physician of any sort. He's no miracle worker. He's... Just a flapping mouth. The last thing any of you ever need to do if you feel sick or have an ailment or a broken bone is to come to me. Other than to pray for you. You need to go get the cast first. I can't do that for you. can't heal you. I can pray for you. That's the scene. It's preaching There's no political maneuvering. There's no mystical ceremony. There's no program. There's no event. There's no public debate. No. No different innovation. There is prophesying, which in its simplest term ought to be understood as preaching. And you may say to me, Pastor, prophesying and preaching, those are different things. Well, let me lay it out to you this way. If I want to define prophecy or to prophesy in a very simple way, the way I would define it is this, to speak God's words. It's fairly agreeable. To have the word of God on your tongue, to be a mouthpiece for the Lord, to tell forth His words. 
And I want to remind you that in the passage that we have, we are not confused about what he says. It's not in an unknown tongue. It's not in babbling. It's not in racket or noise or even rattling. But it is in the proposition that our God has the power to give new life to dead people. That's what he tells him to say to the bones and why the bones are able to stand. He tells him to say, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord your God, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. That's what he says. Prophet, this is what I want you to say. And the prophet speaks. And then these things take up bodies. It's just saying Sharing the word of God. It's that simple. And some of you may say, well, I, you know, pastor, I, I think that's just what happens in the pulpit. And, you know, while I, I think that's wonderful, that's a very high view of the pulpit. Maybe that's a high view of the office of the prophet Ezekiel and maybe a high view of the whole image of all of this. It's not really even the, the man himself. It's, it's the thing he's saying And if you want to take it and say, but pastor, that's only something that prophets or preachers are able to do. It's not a thing I'm able to do. Then what you do is you write yourself a little card and it says, you don't have to say the word of God. You don't have to participate in this. You're free. But Christians, I just want to encourage you. This is simple. It's not that complex. It's just telling forth the good news of the free offer of eternal life and salvation. It's just the telling of the word. It's not a decade of seminary. It's not a pile of books. It's simple. And each and every one of you can do this. Now let's think for a second. What's the context? Here. It's a valley of dry bones. Impossible circumstance. Who's the impossible person you know? Who are the impossible people? The co-workers, the friends, the family member? The child. Who is it? The spouse. Who's the impossible person that you say in yourself and in your heart? I just don't know if there's any hope. Those bones are honking dry. They're so dry. I don't know if there's anything I can do. I don't know if there's any debate that I can have that's ever going to have any good effect. Just share the word of God with them. If you want to call it preaching, call it preaching. You want to call it evangelization, call it evangelization. Just open your mouth and loose your tongue and be useful for the Lord. Just obey the commandment. Because the reality is Romans 10 verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Don't let the minister called and ordained and installed be the only one involved in this sort of wonderful thing. Friends, just teach the word and rely on the Lord. Look to him and say simply in your heart, 
His power is the only thing sufficient, and I leave it to him. As we close this section, the thing I mentioned and haven't yet touched on is that while he sees the bodies standing, reanimated almost, on feet with flesh, not just bones, but with skin even covering it, that he tells us that when he looks on those things, there was no breath in them. They had no life. There are these lifeless bodies before him. And then in verse 9, we transition to the section regarding prayer. Then he, who is he? The Lord. Then he said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the Spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the Spirit, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O Spirit, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now your translation may say, prophesy to the breath. This is the same word that's in verse 1, translated in almost every translation as spirit. It's ruach in the Hebrew, and it makes sense. You can translate it breath if you want, but we're still talking about the powerful spirit of God. And what does the Lord say regarding this spirit, this breath, if you will, this wind, if you like to translate it in this manner? What does he say? He says prophesy. But the word here, prophesy, is an imperative, as if he's taking the prophet and shouting at him, prophesy, that's the weight of it. Prophesy, son of man. Prophesy to the spirit and say to the spirit, thus says the Lord, Come, O Spirit, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So up until this point, we've seen Ezekiel prophesying. Who's he been prophesying to? Who's he been preaching to? Dry bones. These dead bones. That's who he's been speaking to. Bones with no ears that did gain some ears, we assume with the flesh and the skin and everything else. But now in this verse of Scripture, verse 9, what do we read? It's not lifeless bones, but a living spirit that he's speaking to. He's talking, as it were, and shouting aloud almost and prophesying and saying something and calling down the spirit to breathe new life into the heart of dead things, dead people. Now what does this sound like? And you may say, Pastor, I don't know, I've never ever been told to prophesy to the Holy Spirit or the wind or breath or anything like that. Sounds like prayer to me. When you pray, who do you pray to? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. When you pray for somebody and for the Lord to do something and for the Lord to extend His hand and to be active... You pray for the Holy Spirit to descend. This is a prayer, it seems to me. This is, in in my reading of the text, integral to the idea that it's not just preaching and the hearing of the word that is efficient and sufficient to save, but that it requires the movement and the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now that's a sober reality, isn't it? Because what it says to us is that you can hear preaching and faithful preaching. You can hear the very word of God, even for a long time. 
And you can take up all of the appearance of life like bones set upon moral feet to live and to walk and to act as if they're alive. But there is this possibility in the reality that even though you look like you live, you may not be living unless there is a spiritual change. Unless there's spiritual life. But it's not the clanging sound of the word alone, but also the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. There needs to be spiritual new birth for a person, a man, woman, or child, to stand spiritually alive. And what does the Lord say for the sake of that? How can that happen in a desperate time where there are dead things, dead persons, and seemingly a hopeless age? Through preaching and praying pleading with the Lord for the lost how's your prayer life friends how often do you pray you know I think in our church I can generally say and rest assured that you folks are fairly faithful in prayer I think that's absolutely true I hear it in our prayer meetings I hear it when we're together and I see the evidences in your life But let me ask you this, what is the substance of your prayer and who do you pray for? I'm a selfish prayer man. Lord, here are 15 different things I've done I don't like about myself. 15 different struggles, 20 different failures. Lord, this is all about my life. My back hurts, my head hurts, my feet hurt, my my kids are driving me crazy, Lord. I feel rudderless, all these me, me, me prayers. But how many of my prayers are about the lost? Oh, Lord God, look on these bones and let them live. Oh, God, save this person, that person. And the pleading as if I had the prayer, to, the power to pray down the Holy Spirit himself and to command him into the hearts of the lost. You see, that's the picture here. It's not just evangelism. It's not just telling forth the word. It's prayer mixed with it. And the power and the movement of God himself for the lost. And you may ask the question, well, pastor, why is that so important? And maybe you are all convinced and with me already. But I'll say to you, it's because it's it's so necessary. And it's because I can't and you can't save anybody. You and I can't debate well enough to change the heart. We can't sing well enough to entertain. We can't even preach well enough to give life. Only the Holy Spirit can. And I also want to tell you a radical truth. That dead person can't pray and ask the Holy Spirit into their heart. But you can pray for them if you're living. Oh, Holy Spirit, descend on our city and redeem the lost. Save my brother, his wife, his kids. Save my coworker, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife. Oh, Lord God, save my neighbor. Lord, I've told them the word and they reject it. Lord, save them. They look like they're living, but they're not. They're dead. Oh, Lord, save them. Prayer 
is why it's not hopeless for the church to live in this world. Prayer and the word of God is why we can live and stand in a world such as ours. Verses 11 through 14, there's a magnificent transition. Because what do we read? It's not only verse 9. It's that in verse 10, he did prophesy, he was obedient, and he did, as it were, pray as he was commanded. And breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. They're living now. The Lord answered the prayer and blessed the preaching. But in verse 11, there's this continued testimony. Then the Lord said to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, with living mouths, with spiritually living hearts, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. What? What is this? They're living. They're not dead anymore. They're not just a pile of bones. They're not soulless things. They're living people. They're the whole household of Israel. How could they say such a thing? And it's because they live in a very, very hostile world to the Christian soul. Believer, do you ever feel like this? You may say, I know I'm a child of God. I know that I'm a believer. I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm redeemed. I know all these things. But I still feel like my bones are dried up, that I'm poured out, I'm worn out, I'm overwhelmed. You ever feel like that? Yes, you do, if you're honest with yourself, because I know many of you are honest with me. Have you ever felt not just that your bones are dried up, but that things are hopeless and you just can't see the light through the fog and the haze and the darkness of life? And you just wonder, is there hope? I feel hopeless and depressed and downcast, Christian. Do you ever feel that way? Yes, you do if you live in the the sinful flesh that has yet been fully redeemed. Yes, you do if you live in a world that hates the gospel and also hates the Lord and hates those who love him. Yeah, you do. You ever feel like you're cut off and you think, wow, I want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, but I live in a land that's not my own like a foreigner under a foreign king who's a pagan and doesn't love me and doesn't care for me. I'm cut off from the promises. When will this rest come? If you're like me, you do. And this is the reality that that it's just not enough to just do evangelism without the care of this soul that is in the church. It's not just preaching, it's not just praying, it's not just redemption, but it's community and communion in the bond of Christ. Because we as a people hurt and we long for the kingdom that is coming that we do not yet fully, fully receive. And what does the Lord say to Ezekiel, the pastor, the shepherd of the sheep, the preacher amongst God's people? What do you do to people that are like this, that are living, but they say their bones are dried up and they're hopeless and cut off? What do you do? You preach to them. What he says. 
You prophesy to them, but there's substance in what is it? Well, friends, it's the promises of God. Therefore, verse 12, prophesy the same imperative and say to them, thus says the Lord God. When you read that in the Bible, it should just be understood that it's saying, trust me, this is true. Thus says the Lord God. And then he goes through his promises. And in verse 13, it is the promise, or sorry, verse 12, it's the promise of resurrection. Look at it. Verse 12, it's the promise of resurrection. I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. You hear that? Victory over death. Secondly, it is the promise of being known by God. He calls them, oh, my people. Not just a pile of bones, not just bodies on feet, but the people of God. He says, preach to them the promise of the resurrection. Preach to them the truth that they are my people and that they have an inheritance in verse 12. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. It's also the promise of faith, verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, oh my people. The repetition, because he knows we need to hear these words because we are people with short memories who are often assailed by the attacks of Satan and our own doubting hearts. Preach the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, verse 14. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. (laughs) You know, these are people who are in exile and they're far from the temple and they're far from the presence of the Spirit and they're far from the Lord. And this is saying, the Spirit's not just going to be hovering in the temple, but he's going to be in your heart with you and dwelling poured into you. For your life. The second portion of that promise, the promise of eternal life. What do you do to sustain people in a world like ours in a time such as ours? Yes, you preach the truth for new life and you pray for it, and then you preach the promises of God to yourself and to others every single day. Because you don't just need the beginning of life, but the sustenance of life. This is something our Lord understood whenever he said in Matthew chapter 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We might look at the passage, and if you understand what I'm about to say, you'll maybe get a larger picture. What does he say for the the sustaining grace for the Christian? He said, you need eschatology. You need to be looking to the horizon and to the things that are surely yours and the things that the Lord has promised and will certainly give. And so Christians, is it hopeless to live in an age like this? Has Christendom indeed died in the West? Not as long as our God lives and his word remains and his promises are true. So how can you participate? Is there any participation? I just want to point you very briefly to two verses. Verse 7, look back. 
What's required of us? Well, it's the same thing that was required of the, of the prophet. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Look at verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. We need to be obedient to the command of God. To share his word. To pray for the lost and to cling to his promises. That's it. Because all the rest is his work. And indeed if we'll even do that, that will be of his grace and mercy. Will you be as simple and as obedient as the prophet was willing to be? And will you receive the wonderful gift and blessing of being able to see others come to faith and your own faith strengthened? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the scriptures, Lord, for their teaching, and Lord, for the ancient prophecies that sustain the church in a foreign land and still today sustain us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to be a bold people, that we would know your word and that we would love it, that we would have regular communion with you, and that, Lord, in the midst of all our weaknesses and our complaining, that we wouldn't lose sight of the assurance of all your promises and all your grace. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.